has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Alrighty, good morning again. Good morning. Once again, we're getting ready now to dive back in to Romans chapter 13, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, and you're in for a treat this morning. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we take a look at one of the most convicting, difficult passages in the Bible, how to... Submit to authority and honor and respect those who delegate that authority. We pray, Father, with uh, all of our hearts to be open to your word. Challenge us, God, and show us the wonderful things that uh, will bless our lives, the truths that set our hearts free, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are the sort of person who likes making New Year's resolutions, well, then the chapter of Romans chapter 12 and chapters 13 really are a good place to start. They offer you all kinds of spiritual uh, challenges that if we implemented them like a New Year's resolution, we would be so much better off. Uh, Chapter 12 started, as you most of you remember, with practical exhortations, how we must live as the people of God in order to please God and do his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, not in order to be saved. These are commandments that shape our lives to become the kind of people uh, God wants us to be. We are saved through faith and trust alone, but then he gives us commands to help bless us and to keep us on that straight and narrow path that leads uh, to life. And so any of the many exhortations and the moral commands from these past messages would be perfect New Year's resolutions, as difficult as they all are. Uh, Like, for example, to honor others above ourselves or to bless those who persecute us or to love even our enemies, man, or to give generously or to never let our zeal for God uh, be lagging. So yeah, living to please God definitely has some of its some challenges, but I guarantee if we implemented any of the moral exhortations that we've been talking about, we would be more benefited than by simply eating more healthy or exercising more consistently or saving more money. Those are the top three for every year for New Year's resolutions. The Bible says physical discipline is good, but training yourself for godliness, spiritual 
godliness is more is much better uh, because it promises benefits in this life and in the life to come. So when you're making resolutions, don't forget about uh, the spiritual disciplines as well. So, so far, chapter 12 started the practical section of Romans, right? So up till then, we were hearing all the marvelous things God has done for us, and now some of the wonderful things we must do for God. And uh, last week, we finished up a chapter that told us really what that godliness looks like, that some of the resolutions we could be making in our hearts and lives. And so these commands that Christ has given us are commands by uh, which we must live. And now he's given us really three arenas starting in chapter 12. Arena number one was how this new life that God puts in us manifests itself to one another in, in-house, right? How we treat believers. And he said we are to defer to one another in love. And then he said arena number two is outside the church with a hostile world. And he said, I want you to love even your enemies. And then now picking up, spilling over into chapter 13, the new arena that God has very uh, strong and firm expectations of what he requires of us, how we should behave in another area of life that influences almost everything we do. And so here's what God expects of us in arena number three. Everyone, verse one, Romans 13, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not to question them, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Well, Happy New Year from the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Courtesy of the Holy Spirit who is inspiring him to write down the very words of God. All scripture is God-breathed. It does not have its origin in any man. But holy men were carried along 
prompted by the Holy Spirit, and wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what we have here before us this morning, some challenging words, some convicting words. And I would say, boy, if you want to get 2019 started on the right foot, man, how about to honor and respect authority and be better at submitting to it? (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that phrase this morning, I think, with this text before us. So the connection of our passage uh, this morning really is quite obvious to what has come immediately before. Uh, You'll remember he just said things like this. Christians are to live at peace with everyone. Christians are to respond kindly in the face of persecution. Christians are to love their enemies. And Christians are to be careful that they do what's right in the eyes of everyone. So this, of course, is where that behavior is going, where we live to be upstanding, ideal, model citizens in this world. Because all of those exhortations include how we handle and respond to delegated authority wherever we find it not just in the government. That's the wider scope of these passages. Let me say this. Right away, it's so challenging because God's asking us to honor and to respect and to submit to government and authority structures that oftentimes are, have corrupt Uh, officials with less than sympathetic views toward the gospel and Christ's followers. They frequently tax too much, legislate too much, and provide too little, right? And so it doesn't make these exhortations uh, any more easy, any more delightful. In fact, it makes it a lot more hard. So what about these laws and authorities and these people and governing authorities over us who are citizens of a different kingdom? He says we are citizens of the glorious king of kings in a different kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom higher, better, truer, and more noble than this kingdom. The question of the day then was, okay, now I'm a Christian. How does God expect a citizen of heaven like me to live as a a citizen on earth here? Well, the answer is clear in Romans 13, 1 through 7. There's no other way around it. It's just plain. But the tendency, as we get started here, a little context, the tendency for ancient believers who were under the rule of Nero, (laughs) right, And uh, also the temptation for modern uh, uh, believers as well, not to mention Jews. The Jews were used to a theocracy, man. They didn't want any human government. They just said, God is our king. Leave us alone. Step out of the way. But some of those Jews with that mindset were becoming Christians now. And so the the question was, what is the proper Christian uh, God desired response to secular authority in the Bible is very clear with those words. Our king, we think, of course, he is benevolent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, he's the ruler of all. 
And therefore, human governance, governance, I should say, and civic authority really, uh, in some people's hearts, is obsolete and displaced by the greater. But that's not what the Bible says. And somehow, because the Bible calls the world system, speaks of it in a negative way. It says it's under the control of the evil one, really, the world system. And so Christians look at that. We're saved by grace. We're liberated. We're a child of the king. We're going to heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Oh, but he says, don't you forget. At the same time as you're a citizen of heaven, you're a citizen on earth, and you have a moral obligation to be compliant to the structures of authority which God has established in this, yes, fallen, broken, less than perfect world with less than perfect people in that position of delegated authority. And it doesn't mean because the system is flawed or the person is a sinner that we throw the baby out with the bathwater and throw the whole thing out. Rather, no, as unto the Lord... We come under and find ourselves behaving in ways that are admirable and proper for the people of God who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with those words, one pastor, before we dive in, uh, said this in his message, before you excuse yourself too soon from needing to make some changes regarding these verses, This passage is more than mere instruction to be a good law-abiding citizen, something most Christians have some kind of handle on. These words are meant to go much deeper, to cut into our hearts and minds and attitudes regarding how we think and feel and deal with delegated authority wherever we find it in our lives. And so... Yes, (laughs) at best, some of us, uh, governance is like a necessary evil to be tolerated with resentment and a good measure of cynicism. (laughs) That's a hard one. I'd rather have cinnamon on that than than cynicism. At worst, we think it's an unnecessary evil to be despised and rebelled against. So imagine the faces as the scroll of Romans opens up and the Roman first century Christians are waiting for the apostles. God breathed words and messages. Look at their faces when they start to hear this, that citizens of heaven were required by God to be ideal citizens on earth and that God commands we respect and honor and submit to all authority, obey the laws, pay our taxes, live peaceful and quiet lives. Wow. And so we are wowed as well, but we are determined to hear the word of God for what it is, depending not on our own biases, And our preferences, but we're just going to let the word of God do its work in our hearts. Amen? The text divides quite nicely. Okay, three invaluable truths here. The first two verses, note takers, delegated authority is God's idea. The second two verses, delegated authority serves God's purposes. Therefore, the third point, delegated authority deserves our respect. 
verses 5 through 7. Let's dive in with delegated authority as God's doing, verses 1 and 2. It says, you can follow along with me, I'll paraphrase a little bit. Every Christian ought to obey civil authorities, for it's God who put those authority structures in place. Existing authorities have been appointed by God. Verse 2 stands to reason then to oppose the authority is to oppose God and his plan. And those who do that will suffer the sad consequences and incur judgment upon themselves. Okay, so let's dive in. From God's point of view, all rebels, those with a, a rebellious streak in them, are like James Dean's character, a rebel without a cause. Because there's no cause for rebellion except one. And we only find it as indirectly shown through the apostles who told the Jewish Supreme Court, who told them, we command you to be silent with the name of Jesus. And and they said, judge for yourself. It's right to obey you like we're usually supposed to do. But when you tell us to do something that God tells us to not do, or you tell us to not do something that God tells us to do, then we must obey God rather than man. That's in Acts chapter 5. But outside of that... There is no cause to rebel, no matter who's in the office, whether you voted for them or not. Now, there's no way around this. It's sort of like the apostles got together, and it's a cons- conspiracy of sorts, because they're all, they all say the same thing. And yes, indeed, conspiracy is in air quotes. It's a joke. There, let me show you three such. With this in mind, one through seven in mind, let's look at three other passages. And you, you tell me what you take from it. Peter, writing, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Wherever you find it, in the grocery store, at school, on the freeways, in the home, at church, every square inch of this world is layered with delegated authority that ultimately can be traced back to God for the good purposes of keeping this world in order and from anarchy and all kinds of things. And so submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor Nero. Nero will make any corrupt, crazy politician that you can think of look like an honorable Eagle Scout. (laughs) Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Reverence God with awe. Honor the emperor, who at the time Peter's writing now is Nero. Honor him. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And then Paul to Timothy, I urge you then, first of all, that prayers and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, for presidents, for prime ministers, for governors, for congresspeople, for all those in authority, bosses and moms and dads and managers and supervisors, that we may live 
Peaceful, not complaining and dragging our heels and resenting it. Peaceful and quiet lives under their authority in all godliness and holiness. And then again, Titus, remind believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, not civil disobedience, but civil obedience, ready to do what's good, to be a blessing, to be commended, to make the gospel of Christ attractive to the outside world. So we can leave this up so we can marinate our sin-sick, rebellious souls in it, okay? And I speak, first of all, to me, because all of us have been born with a sort of natural inclination to, you're not the boss of me. We said it right away. I mean, I tell you, the doctor slapped me, I slapped him right back. I'm not taking this. I mean, when he, you know, I didn't ask to be here and slap me for, right? And so we're like right away. Don't tell me what to do, mom and dad. Don't tell me what to do, school teacher. Don't tell me what to do, coach. Nobody, no fallen nature, wants to be told what to do, even when it's right, even when they should be telling us. And even when we want them to tell us, they're still like, oh, can you say please, you know, or something <laughs> like that. We've got a problem. And then the thing about scriptures that make you a little queasy, think of it like chemotherapy, all right? Chemotherapy, and I had my fair share 17 years ago. I had two years of chemotherapy, so I know. It makes you nauseous, but guess what? It kills the bad cells, and 17 years later, you're preaching the gospel, right? You don't have any of your hair left, but... <laughs> Listen, hair is overrated, people. You've heard it. You've heard me say before that God made some heads perfect, the rest he covered up with hair. But I digress, as usual. So there's really no wiggle room. There's no buts or ifs or loopholes to find. He just says, trace the authority that's legitimate, and legitimately asking you of a reasonable request, trace it back to me, and I want you to submit with a smile all the way in a right way, in a happy way, because those are my people. Those are my people. Those are my children. That's how we do life. My people are not the troublemakers. My people are the peacemakers. My people aren't the stand up and complain and in your face ragers. No, 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 no. My people are not the slanderers. Oh, he, my people are the submissive, those who honor, those who don't necessarily deserve personal honor. We'll talk about how to do that. And so, yeah, uh, the governing authorities, the authority structures in life, I want you to remember government, workplace, schools, neighborhoods, offices, homes, and such, right? The only place you're going to find a place where you can go and do whatever you want without some sense of authority to somebody or something, name one square inch and one time in life that you are free from all authority. And I'll tell you where it is. Hell. 
That's the only place. And who goes there? Lawbreakers. That's what it's called. They're called lawbreakers. Lawbreakers chafe at law enforcement. Law abiders who love good and right and true love law enforcers because that's our heart. That's at least our changed heart and who God is making us to be. So going back to the original verses, one and two, God provides and delegates all authority structure because we desperately needed it. Isaiah said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. So God sees that our homing devices are broken we don't know which way is true north anymore. Everybody tends to do what is right in their own eyes. And when Israel did that, they had no king and there were no form of governance. When Israel did that, the book of Judges records the darkest pages in scripture. And it says this as the summary line, that was a day when every man did what was right in their own eyes. So since we've lost our bearings where true north is, what's true, what's right, what's good, what's wholesome, even when we know it, we have trouble living it out and carrying it out. So God says, I'm going to delegate and order the world in a way to bless you, to keep you from destruction. And even with all of the layers of a delegated authority from him, there's still chaos. But it's a lot less than it would have been had he not intervened with delegated authority. So, so, so when, he see, when you see delegated authority in the home, in, in your offices... On the freeway, you know God's saying, in love. This is in love. Boundaries to protect you. Not to say who's better or who's superior, who's more important or who's more loved or who's more valuable. No, 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 no. This is all about flow of life that we could live abundant life to have fullness of joy, to have life that is truly life, as the Bible calls it. You can't have it without this delegated authority and the attitude to come under it. You'd have anarchy in the streets, chaos in the home, disintegration of marriages, meltdown in industry, crumbling in the schools, and a free-for-all in the local church. God has ordered his world, broken as it is, flawed as it is, with people who are broken as well, but wants us to come under in a happy way, in a volunteer way, not in I'll break your arm away, <laughs> right? Okay, so let's move on. Now you're thinking, what about those flawed people and the systems that don't work and all of that? Well, you know, what about the crazy ones? Is, is really anybody free from some level of craziness uh, that governs in this world? Really, think about it. One pastor wrote, Pastor Ross Reinman, he wrote, <laughs> he wrote, governments and those in positions of power throughout the world and throughout all ages are notoriously self-serving morally flawed and consistently falling short of the very ordinances they seek to uphold. 
this sad reality is not to deter believers from the mandate by God to subject ourselves accordingly as unto the Lord. So the key for me, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself by giving you this tip, all right? This tip to be able to do this is to see past the face and the person and the words, to honor the structure of authority that comes from God and as unto the Lord come under. That I can do. If I look past the thing and say, God, you're somehow let this happen, this person's in this position, and it's a legitimate authority with a legitimate reasonable request, or, you know, so it appears, then we come under. Let me give you an example of some, uh, so what it means when he says, all the authorities that exist have been established by God, even the crazy ones. All right, let me go, go through the list. Why don't we start with Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled the Middle East and much of the world there uh, in Babylon. All right, here's what Daniel was told by the Holy Spirit to tell this king. Your majesty, you're the lowercase king of kings. The God of heaven has, well, the God, the God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. The God of heaven puts you on the throne. God is responsible for your position, all right? And in your hands, God placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky, wherever they live. He has made you ruler. So God made a crazy man ruler. Now, God is not responsible for crazy man's immorality. He's just saying, I permitted it and I can work a good plan through a bad man. Right, So all things being equal, generally speaking, God is saying, I am working and I want you to trust me and submit to the governing authorities, which Daniel was doing. Daniel kept getting promotions. Why? Because he, he reverenced authority there. He wasn't a troublemaker. He was a peacemaker. The second, exhibition B, all right, let me call into the courtroom Pharaoh. Who put Pharaoh there? Moses, I want you to go tell that King Pharaoh, King of Egypt and the surrounding parts, I have raised you up for this very person, Yahweh speaking, God himself, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Who's behind the election of Pharaoh to the throne? God is taking credit for that. He's saying, I put you there. All right, let's move on to, uh, let me see, Cyrus. He says, when I say Osiris, God speaking, he's my shepherd. Cyrus was king of Persia, pretty much the whole world, right? And God is saying, he's my shepherd. He's going to do what I say. He will command, rebuild, the, rebuild Jerusalem and say, restore the temple. And God took an, an unrighteous, unbelieving king and worked a good plan through a bad man. This is what the Lord says to his chosen one. God chose Cyrus. And, and, and he says later, though you don't know me, though you don't acknowledge me, you're mine, right? 
whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor and to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. And then my last most powerful example will come from the Son of God who comes under the authority of man. God himself standing before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate says, where do you come from? And Jesus is not in the talking mood to him, right? And so he says, oh, do you refuse talking to me? Don't you know who I am? I've got the power to let you go free or kill you. And Jesus says, actually, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So Pilate, you're under the government of God, and God is using a bad man to bring out a good plan. And this is why he says, go back to our verses one and two. This is why he says, everyone must submit to the governing authorities because there's no authority except that which God has established. Every single person in power has been permitted at least to be there by God. God is Light in him, there's no darkness. He just says, I'm able to work through this person. Vote, do your part, be salt and light in this world, but I will cast my vote with you. And I'll use that without violating anybody's free will. His point is just, look, I put them there. Get over it. You will like that. You will like it. You will like it. No, I'm going to read this to you. No, we're all going to read it out loud together. Because you don't look convinced. I said that God says I put him there. Right? Well, you're fine when it's your guy that you voted for. You're like, amen. You know? And then I say, God put him there. And you're all like, what? <laughs> Let's read that again out loud. Reading together. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. That's enough. <laughs> I think you get the picture. So what's left for us? Submit to the authority and trust God. And of course, do I need to keep saying, if the authority forces you to do something immoral or sinful then you have the uh, blessing of God to resist them and do what's right. Here's the summary verse. I forgot this. Here we go. Summary verses. He, the Lord, removes kings and establishes kings. Yeah, that's what he does. He does that. That's his job. I put one in, I take one out. The good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones. Sorry. <laughs> Here's the message that everyone may know. The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone. He doesn't ask our permission. <laughs> he chooses even the lowliest of people. There you have it. We now know why we are to submit to the governing authorities, because behind them is God's intention to do something good. Let's move on. Now, <laughs> for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but what's wrong? So do what's wrong. Now, here's, here's what he wants with this passage. 
He wants to change our attitude. That's what he's asking for. He's asking for a change of heart of how we see authority in general. And he's really driving at this. The problem, basically, for the most part, is not them. It's us with our desire to continue to do our own thing, not be told what to do, or have people rub us the wrong way, or not wanting to do it their way. That's the problem. So he says, if you want to fix the estrangement, how you feel about government and authority, change the way you think and behave. Because if you change the way you think and behave and actually come under and give the authority figure, whoever that is, what is reasonable, you'll be commended. So he says, change your behavior, change your attitude. This is what he's saying here. Because what verse 3 and verse 4 saying this, all things being equal, generally speaking, delegated authority, wherever you find it, is not the problem. The lawbreaker, the wrongdoer, is the bad guy in the story. Let me explain it this way. The teacher. The teacher has it out for me. What's the truth? The truth is you haven't been doing your homework. Uh, okay, you don't really like some of the things about the class. You're not studying as hard as you could. And so instead of giving you an A when you had a nine, an 89... She gave you a B. And what? We're going to hear it all about what a terrible human being she is, right? It's not because of you not studying hard enough. It's because she. Well, the same with the coaches. You know, my coach is impatient. My coach is this. Or it's the same with the traffic cop, right? What do we say after we get ticketed? Oh, you know, it's the end of the month. They've got quotas, you know? <laughs> We all say that. It's not that you did anything wrong, right? It's those guys always looking to write you up. You know, all they're doing is sitting around. Where, whoops, there's some cops in here right now. <laughs> it's always their fault, right? So he says, I want you to just change your behavior, change your mind, and then that thing, the fear, the panic, the resentment, the little hostility in between you and that form of authority will change when you change your attitude about them. Always blaming, you know, it's the boss. It's always, he's so unrealistic, unbelievable. He wants me to come in on time. <laughs> he wants me not, I took a lunch. Okay, it was two and a half hours. All right, <laughs> you know, he, he caught me one, you know, it was some downtime, I was on the video machines, you know, I was playing around, you know, unbelievable, you know, he's such a taskmaster, you know, right? Okay, I'll tell you one on me, not a good one. So I'm at the Cheesecake Factory over the holidays, the one on top of Macy's where you wait four hours. And it's crowded, and we're waiting, and we're, it's a U-shaped lobby around the escalator, right? And, the, and it's packed. You cannot move at all. And we ended up right in front of what turns out to be the kitchen. The kitchen is right there in the lobby. There's no signs. There's no lines. There's no wall. There's nothing except you stop, and the kitchen starts. Where? Nobody really knows, but I found out. So to get to where I wanted to go, I would either have to fight the sardines and go all 
the way around, or I could take 10 steps through, and, and at times it was like all clear, all clear right to the other side. I just had to take 10 little steps. And, and honestly, you honestly cannot tell it's the kitchen, all right? So until you start walking in it. And so I start walking, and somebody says, oh, that's a no-no. It's the kitchen. It's the kitchen. And I go, oh, yeah. And I'm sliding on the grease and everything. And I'm up to 10 steps, it's over. Right? And I'm, no harm, no foul. It was kind of like, hey, dude, it's the kitchen, you know? And I was just like, yeah. But now I'm coming back. And now I've been told, that's the kitchen. That's a no-no, right? But it's 10 steps. It's 10 steps where I have to fight and go all the way around. It was at least a mile and a half. I have to go all the way around, and I see my family there, right there, 10 steps away, and I wait in until it kind of cleared a little bit, and off I go. One, two, three, and a waitress went berserk. Sir, this is the kitchen. You could get hurt in here. You're not allowed in here, blah, 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 blah. And I get to the other side, and I go like this. Not I'm sorry, but what was my attitude? My attitude is, what's your problem? What's your problem? Oh, waitress is having a bad day. I didn't say this. <laughs> waitress is having a bad day. It's Christmas, man. It's Christmas. Lighten up, lady, you know? It's 10 steps. See? He's saying, the problem is always the authority, not your unwillingness to come under the authority, and she has full authority to eject me out of that kitchen and out of the restaurant to, uh, to go even further with that. And so, yeah, we all have a thing about authority, whether it's 10 steps or just $10 or just 10 weeks short, just 10 anything, 10 answers on the test, 10 whatever. We have our way, and God says, that's not my people. So he says, why don't you be a law-abiding person who says, oh man, there's a policy in place. And once I found out to say, hey, because I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, what if she went to the rock, right? What if she saw us praying over our meal? Oh, there's that idiot who's sorry. There's that guy. There's that guy who just thinks, you know, just walk in, you know? No, see, and I take a little bitty example, but blow it up, man. And it's that attitude that what I want, what I think is best, what I think is just lighten up everybody. It's the spirit of the law that matters or whatever. God says, come on. You represent me, man. Come under. Come under. That's what he's saying. Come under. Do the right thing. And he says, now, if you want to be really tight with that waitress, then you'll respect the laws, right? Or if you want to be tight with authority or feel uh, free from fear, then be a person who's dedicated to upholding the truth and the, the right way of doing things. For example, when a cop pulls in behind you, you won't need to panic because you always do the right thing, right? You never drive irresponsibly, right? So when that cruiser pulls in behind you, you see it in the rear view mirror, you're like, well, so what? I'm good, right? Instead of like, oh, <laughs> right? So I, I'm getting ready to go down Lakeville Highway, the eternal stretch part, right? 
And so I'm at that light right there in Petaluma. And it turns green. Everything's fine. And I pull forward, right? And right coming out of nowhere, right behind me as a police officer. Right? And I'm thinking, oh, on the eternal stretch of Lakeville of Highway, I'm going to have to deal with this pressure on me, right? So I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to work. So I put on my blinker, and I looked. I was like, go down looking at a pumpkin patch or something, you know? <laughs> Did I need to turn left? No, I didn't need to turn left. But I signaled. I made sure I signaled, and I yielded, and I'm like, oh, I got to go to the pumpkin patch. <laughs> And I turn off, and he goes on. I go, whoa, thank you, Jesus. Uh, he's, look, do the right thing. Be a person who always tells the truth, who always pays their taxes, who always drives correctly. Be that kind of person. And you'll find that your, the enmity between you and the authority will diminish. You won't have that fear. You won't have that insecurity. And you won't have that angst. Between the, so the problem is really changing our attitudes. Um, uh, people who love what's good and do what's right are the ones who love and respect authority. That's a conviction. Uh, I went down with a fat offering from this church to the first responders who were part police officers, part firefighters. And it, they received the offering, and uh, the officer said, man, you Christians love police officers. And I said, yes, we do. Because, and I don't say this part, law abiders love law enforcers. People who love good, right, and true love people who enforce good, right, and true. In whatever form that delegated authority takes, not just behind a squad car, but in the home, in the school, at the workplace, in the family, right? And so a powerful heads up then. He says, look at this. Four times it's used. The person in authority is God's servant. God says, how are you treating my servant? Hey, I sent your servant. Do you receive my servant? He's my servant, my servant, my servant, my servant, my servant. Four times in these seven verses, he's my servant with my intentions. I'm using him. How are you doing with my servant? Well, if you put it that way, God, that changes everything because I haven't really associated that person with you sending that person, delegating that person, and giving that person authority over my life. Wow, that's something to think about. He says, so if you do what's right, that authority uh, structure will commend you, right? I mean, you be law-abiding, you live morally, you give, you're uh, conscientious, you get scholarships, Secular authority acknowledges good behavior. You'll get a raise. You'll get the A+. Plus. You'll, you'll be asked to speak at graduation. You, you'll get a plaque. You know They'll name part of the building after you. Secular authorities like to commend good behavior. So God is saying, listen, you want, good, you want some applause? Earn it. 
by being good and you'll get the applause. But then here comes the warning. But heads up. If you're going to keep this attitude of I'm going to do what's right in my eyes and sometimes obey when I think it's right and when it's easy and when it's convenient for me and basically, you know, cops are here and this and that and the other thing, then he says, be afraid. Be afraid because God's authority figure, wherever you find it, has a sword. Now, in this case, he means, yeah, a real sword that if you want to... Murder somebody, you're going to lose your life, even there in first century Rome. But on a wider scope, he's saying the person who has delegated authority has the means to bring painful, unpleasant repercussions to your bad behavior. So doesn't it make sense to change your behavior to any authority structure in your life Doesn't it make sense since they have the sword, meaning the means to make your life unpleasant. So think about who is that? Give the boss what he wants. Give the teacher what they're asking for. Give the officer what they want. So so they'll commend you instead of have to bring some sort of sword. There's lots of forms of sword here, citations and fines and fees. You you know, having your car towed would be a sword. Uh, Kicked off the team, flunked in the class, demoted or fired, strife in the home, divorce, endless loss of opportunity and privilege. And a lot of our struggle in this life is we won't comply. We don't like to come under And a lot of our angst and a lot of our troubles would be if you just comply as unto the Lord, just settle yourself down, come under and trust the Lord and do the things that lead to peace. And so let's finish up with five through seven because he's drawn to a conclusion now, you'll see there. Therefore means because delegated authority is God's doing, And because delegated authority serves God's purposes, then it stands to reason that delegated authority must always be respected. There, verse 7. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities and not check this out. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Now, leave it to the Lord to just not want outward compliance, and we think it's done. We think, oh, well, we're we're outwardly compliant. He says, oh, no, no, no. If you're outwardly compliant to save your rear, as it were, if you're doing that, no, 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 that's not the only reason. He says it's a valid reason. Self-preservation is a valid reason. But he said, "Could, could you, my people with the Holy Spirit in your hearts, can you guys... Do this for a nobler motivation, which is your heart. The conscience, I mean, one guy uh, wrote about it this way, the pain a man suffers when he's done wrong. In other words, your emotional, spiritual well-being, the sense that you've done something wrong. When I got in the car, driving home from the Cheesecake Factory, the Lord was really dealing with me because this sermon was in my heart. And the Lord was saying to me, 
It's not just the 10 steps. It's your whole attitude. You see, this is what he's wanting us to deal with. He's wanting us not to say, well, I'll do it, but. He's saying, do it from your heart because it's the right thing, because you've been changed, because you're a more noble person, not so that you won't go to jail. And what will the neighbors think? So I have to do it. I have to do it or else something bad will happen to me. He says, that's fine. That's fine if that's your level of maturity. But how about this from your heart? That Christ lives in you and there's love and joy and truth and goodness and you want to do the right thing. That's what he says, boy, that would be nice. You know, um, I want to be healthy the other day, just for the day. And so I got one of, so, <laughs> so I got one of those green slime drinks, right? Now, if you get the right one, I've had them before and the right one was pretty good, all right? Because it had some sugar in it. But the one I happened upon, I took a sip of it, and it had like a lot of herbs and chopped like grass. And it just tasted very urban grass-like, right? And so I, since I paid $100 for it, <laughs> five bucks for it, whatever, I'm like, I'm drinking this. And so I opened my mouth, and, and without swallowing or tasting, I don't even know it landed on my tongue, I threw my head back, I blocked my nose like this, and I threw it back all the way, and it just went down without a swallow. Just like, get it down. It's down. It's on there, right? This is how we pay our taxes. This is how we hand the officer the registration, sir. <laughs> this is how we take the well-earned C minus. <laughs> this is how we do it. And the Lord says, could you not do it just so, oh, well, I'll go to jail or I'll get in trouble. I'll have to pay a bigger fine. No. It's your heart. Take your hand off, and obedience and compliance is an acquired taste of the new creation. We need to learn how to do that, right? I have another illustration stories told of a family at dinner time, mom and dad and some grade schoolers. I think a junior high was junior higher was involved. After you hear the story, you'll know. So the junior higher. Uh, stood up to leave. Everybody looked like they were done. And the father says, hey, mom's not done yet. Mom, yeah, mom's not done yet. So just sit down and just wait. Just be polite, man. And it's like, oh, gotta go, 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 go. You know, no, I don't want to sit down. Everybody's done. I said, mom's not finished eating yet. So sit back down. And everyone sit down. And I'll just stand here. I'll just stand here and watch. I'll wait. Oh, now I want you to sit down. And you, you will sit down. So he had to get up and come over and gave him the Vulcan mind thing, you know, <laughs> the little massage on the shoulders. And he went down. So he went down and the dad goes back to the seat and sits down again. And the dad says, thank you for taking your seat and sitting down. And he says, but I'm standing in my heart. 
Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, okay? I promise not to do that again. (laughs) But also because of conscience from the heart. And he says, well, my people, I don't want you to be saying, okay, here's my registration, but in my heart, you're the problem. Is it quote a month or whatever, you know? Just gotta hate to keep going back to that, but for some reason, it's in my mind. He says, from your heart. Christian duty, one writer said, is, the, is a whole lot easier and a whole lot more enjoyable when the heart is on board. So he says, you won't have to hold your nose and do the following. Number one, you pay taxes first, the rationale. That's their full-time job. They do not work at Home Depot. They work for you. Actually, they work for me. And I've got them working full-time, and they need to be paid, so everybody has to chip in. The Romans had to pay sales tax, land property tax, tax on trade, military tax, support the army, bachelor tax. If you were not married, you were taxed, because Rome thought you were more productive as a married man. (laughs) Inheritance tax, religious tax, Poll tax, which means you can vote, and a tax if you had servants. That added up. And he says, number one, there, and the word there in verse seven, to give, there, it is to give back. He's implying, you've received goods or services, give back. Pay what you owe, give back. You've received something. This isn't just you cutting a check and saying, ouch, and you've got nothing. You've been served by my servant. I put a servant there to serve you. Now pay back. God's asking, not them. God is asking you, please pay your bills. You have been receiving. You have been benefiting. Now pay your bills. Taxes is the word taxes there is the general word for the same word that we would think of as taxes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Two things are certain in life, right? Death and taxes. Which do you prefer? It's hard to choose. Okay. (laughs) Especially when you're going to heaven. Uh, uh, All right. And so, yeah, the word revenue there is sales tax. All right. They didn't appreciate that. Now, if you live in five states, you don't have to worry about that in America. I forget what they are. Alaska, Delaware, Montana, New Hampshire, and Oregon. (laughs) And then, here he is again. Here it is again. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. And here he is again. Heart. Because we're like, I wrote it. I wrote the check. And he goes, oh no, civil obligations don't end when you fill in the forms and pay your fees. It's in your heart. So now he wants us to respect those people. How do you honor somebody who is acting un? Honorably. How do you do that? Number one, you pray for them. That's what he asks us to do. Number two, you be thankful for something good. Find something good. Number three, you hold your tongue. You can think what you want. You can talk in the privacy of your own bedroom with your wife about how you feel. But it is not respectful and it is not honorable to slander and insult 
God's servant, whoever it is, because he says, honor the emperor. And the emperor was Nero. Now, how do you do that? You don't have to love what he's doing. But definitely derogatory speech does not come under honor, right? So what you call constructive criticism (laughs) perhaps isn't a way to honor after all. Now, I realize that these are very uh, challenging words. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to help us, and he's good at that. So if we apply ourselves to these truths, and uh, the three truths are these, delegated authority comes from God, delegated authority serves God's purposes, therefore delegated authority is to be respected. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these wonderful words of life that convict us of the right way to live. Lord, it's just so hard. And we pray that we wouldn't let the challenge cause us to forfeit the benefit of living a submitted life first to you, God. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.